We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. A little later in the week than it usually is. If you notice, we had a we had a trade deadline piece, then we had a midseason report with Jordan Zerm and Andrew Spade yesterday. Go back and listen to those if you missed them. Mailbag bump back a couple days, but it's a good one. We got a lot of questions. The extra day or two allowed for some good ones to trickle in as well. So I think we have uh, multiple on each side of the ball, then some overall questions that pertain to the franchise feel and the future and all that fun stuff. So it's a busy Friday mailbag on the OBR Film Breakdown. Let's get started with that right now. All right, we're here. We're live. Welcome in, everybody. Uh, I'm here with Andrew. Andrew, what's up, man? How's your uh, How's your evening going? Good, pretty good. Getting some stuff right. done. Got a little bit of a to do list right now. Uh, have some company over the weekend visiting, so I'm you know there's there's like a list of things I got to get done, and I'm I'm working on it. All right. Well, we're knocking things out. We're knocking this podcast out. We're a little late with the questions. We apologize that, but we're going to get to as many of them as time will permit here. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to start with questions categorized off as sort of more of the random and then offense defense is where the questions are located. First one comes up from Brett Minner. Brett asked a couple of really good questions we're going to answer. And the first one, you know, it's hard to answer this, but I think it's a fair question, Andrew. It says, do you have a sense of Stefanski's communication challenges or just with the media or if it extends to the team? He said, when I've worked for public companies, it's been my experience that if a leader is guarded when he's talking in the, to the market, that tends to mean that isn't uh, a lot isn't shared inside the company either. Given that under Kevin's leadership, there has been some high-profile dissension between you know Baker, Odell, and Clowney, and the recent misinformation about injuries, I wonder how it is playing out in the locker room. I think my answer to that, before I throw it to you, Andrew, is that that's a fair concern. It's really hard to know. I think that like that is an angle that should be considered because they have dealt with some dissension, right? They have dealt with some really dangerous situations from a uh, personality standpoint, but it's hard to sit outside of that locker room and not being a fly on the wall in there and blame Kevin or call him something he is. Now, your process of deduction could be very right. Your experience in this field could be very right and will ultimately end up defining Kevin's tenure as whether he can continue to get his guys to buy in, believe, and play hard for him. I think he's on the right track this year from the outside looking in, but... I'm open to Andrew, your uh, counter thought to that. If you have something different. No, I think that's right. I, I mean, I think what you said mostly about it being impossible to know is the number one thing. Um, and I, there are, there are some high profile examples of things, uh, you know, 
getting out or, you know, people, you know, disagreements, I would say that sort of thing. Um, Those happen with every NFL team to a certain extent. And I I think really all you need to do is look at what's happening in Las Vegas right now. The, 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 the Raiders had basically a party today in their locker room because Josh McDaniels is gone and they're practicing under a coach, Antonio Pierce, who was a player not long ago and he gets it right. And so they've, publicly said that they're going to be more player friendly, that they're going to open, you know, be open to feedback. It sounds like the reason Josh McDaniels got fired is because Mark Davis was meeting with players soliciting their input. So that's a year and a half in Kevin Stefanski's in his fourth year. If he was as bad as Josh McDaniels, he, we would know by now, like it would have gotten out. Right. So I don't know if he's the best, but he's certainly not the worst. From what we know, he seems fine. I think the guarded media stuff, is especially an NFL trick. Some guys are open with, and that's fine too. I just, I have a hard time jumping to conclusions about how he handles players. Most of which seem to respect him. Um, you know, based on what we've seen interactions, we've seen into your point, there are other examples of coaches, you know, kind of, uh, I mean, every single year, it seems like there's one of these guys. So it's not, yeah. it's not altogether too new. So the last four years you have to be doing, and they haven't made the playoffs in two years either. So right. that has to matter. I, yeah, I would just add, I think it's okay for me to say this, that uh, our colleague Fred Greetham uh, mentioned to us that when they were down at the Greenbrier this summer, they spent some time, there was like an unstructured hang session between the media and the head coach. And he said that uh, Kevin Stefanski is a very different person when it's guaranteed to be off the record. So, and he, you know, Fred said basically, I wish he was like that all the time. So I think that also gives you a little bit of an idea that that it is, very much part of Stefanski's desire to minimize distractions and disruptions by giving the media as little as possible in a public forum. It's strategy based. And you have to remember he grew up in a front office environment with his dad, right? Where his dad's in the NBA and all that stuff. So it's not like he's unaccustomed to what failing organizations look like and what the successful ones look like. So I think he's trying to follow that MO. I mean, I mean like Greg Popovich, those types, right. Who just never give anything away. So yeah, it's a great uh, question though. It's a great question. Next question comes from Brett again, said as a fan, it can seem to get, uh, actually I want to preface it by what he said. Big picture question here as a fan. It can't, I can't seem to get over the assumption that the Browns will figure out a way to lose every time a game is close. You've described that same feeling at the stadium before. So what's it going to take to get self-belief in the Browns fan for you? He said, Pittsburgh fans believe that they can win games. They should not Cleveland fans don't in general. How can this team get you to have that confidence? So I'll throw it to you first to answer this one, Andrew. I think it's a tricky one. Yeah. I mean the, the glib and short answer is win for 20, 25 years in a row without really having a bad season. Right. I mean, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. That would go a long way. If Kevin Stefanski went on a, what is Tomlin's got like 10 years or 15 years now of doing that. I mean, it was Bill Cowher before that. It was Chuck Knoll before that. You're going back to the 70s, man. So, like, it's just – you're talking about, you know, people that are 10 years older than me that have never really seen the the Steelers struggle. Well, I'll say, too, I, I, I thought – and I think I said it to you at the time. I think Browns fans are more eager to get there. They're very eager to get there, and I don't think it'll take them long. And I point back to you, not in trying to be me, but, like, the Steelers game going into that one on the road, you were confident. Like I was the I most was, confident absolutely. I have ever seen you yeah, that they could sure. get this right and they would be right. So I will say that you're you're spot on. You're talking with two two decades of scar tissue here. Not only the scar tissue of the team left, then you get the team coming back and they were terrible, been terrible. Only three seasons of real hope in the in the process of coming back. And like 
I just think that there's scar tissue that has to go away, decades of which, but I do think it can happen quicker than you think. I know 2020 happened, but it was such a, s- a strange season that I believe for the most part, I believe that that like the reinvigoration of fans changed everything you felt about it. But also think about the confidence you had in 2019 and how blindsided we were that they were bad. Yeah. So I yeah. think that the confidence will get there quicker than you think. It's just about them meeting the threshold of that. And if they keep winning games, if they stack together at 13 and three and 12 and five or 12 and six or whatever the number is, these these whole things give, give me 13 and four and 12 and five uh, seasons. Right. I think we'll feel a lot of confidence at those points. I don't think it'll take as long as you might think it would take. But you're no, you're right. You know, I was I was being glib. I, I, the, the true answer is two or three years of I mean, look at what's happened with the Chiefs. They were not a good team for a while. Uh, and, and now, you know, nobody can tell them anything on a week to week basis. So it, it doesn't take long in the NFL. It really doesn't. Um, and if you solve quarterback too, like if exactly. you really get a guy, like a yeah. real guy at quarterback, you go in with confidence every single week. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about this a lot lately, but yeah. that's, that's where it all stems from. Right. You don't. I don't think Pittsburgh fans have as much confidence like in the, what is it? The duck Hodges and. Uh, Mason Rudolphs and those guys and even into the picket guys as they did when Ben Roethlisberger was rolling get a quarterback for 15 years who's really good and gives you a chance every game and that's where you get a ton of your confidence all right so uh, all right next question Andrew you want to go ahead and read that one predict the Browns record if Watson was done for the year and they signed Colt McCoy off the street with his first start coming at Baltimore would he become more endeared to the fan base than Brissett and then he said that the Minnesota rumors of the Vikings uh signing Colt McCoy have him uh, thinking about that possibility. This is ham pod prep. So obviously that one comes before they traded for Dobbs and all that. I think it has to be said. There are a lot of people who are talking about Colt McCoy in this last week. I'm perplexed. The Cardinals, the Cardinals were willing to say in a team that's, that's from a front office perspective, trying to throw games, they're trying to lose. They were saying he's so bad that we can't even start this guy. So I don't know how people can watch PJ Walker, what Josh Dobbs has been the last five weeks, and then say, we'll take a guy worse than that. The story's cool because of the nostalgia, but like, there's no way. I think you guys are just misremembering what Colt McCoy has been in recent years. Like, it's not even worth And I'm not trying to knock you there, ham pod prep or whatever. Like, I'm just, he's been really bad and to the point that even teams that are trying to lose indirectly are saying, we can't f- put this guy on the football field. It's one thing when you talk about Tom Brady coming out of retirement, right, or uh, other quarterbacks that have been to that sort of height. But Colt McCoy has, at his best, been pretty mediocre. So the idea that he would, like, he's, I think he's basically retired. He's doing some media stuff. I don't think it's even, like, on his radar to come back. It, would, it feels very weird to me. I mean, even Josh McCown, I think it made more sense when he kind of came out of semi-retirement. Right, he stopped t- coaching a fo- high school team or whatever, or maybe he kept doing it while he was still the quarterback. Remember when that happened a few years ago? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I just don't. I, I don't think McCoy has done enough to justify this level of speculation about his playing status. I, maybe I'm crazy, but I think no. you agree with me. No, no disrespect. I think there's a lot of quarterbacks you could plug in instead of Colt McCoy and make yeah. that question very. If it is the to the answer your question though, they would lose every game the rest of the way. I have a, I have a real hard time seeing them win. Maybe right. The Bears, yeah. Good point. They, they win yes. a good game. To, to answer the two. question, yeah, maybe one yeah. or two wins. Yeah. All right. Next question. Aaron Hitchens asked: The amount of nonsensical criticism of this organization by the fan base is absolutely mind-boggling. Do you guys have fan? Uh, sorry, enough experience with any other fan base to know if Browns fans are uniquely unqualified to have nice things, or is this an extension of the human condition? If it's a Browns thing, how much do we just blame the local media? So, I'll let you answer this one. This is kind of a tricky one, but like. 
Yeah. Anyway, you go first. I'll jump in after you. I mean, first of all, these are my favorite types of questions, right? I mean, this, it, the picture doesn't get any bigger than this, right? Um, I lived in Wisconsin for about a decade. Uh, and so that's probably the other fan base that I'm uh, most qualified to assess is the Packers. Uh, and it is so different. It's crazy how different it is. Um, what you have in what I saw a lot of in Green Bay, because they were so successful, or in Wisconsin, I should say, but around Green Bay, is um, casual fans that don't know anything about the team and just kind of show up for a good time because they're more than likely going to watch a win, right? So whether that was at a at a bar or at, at the games I went to or – you know, just, just people, you know, in the, in the grocery store on the Friday before a game talking about, they're not talking about the players. They're talking about like the weather or who they're playing, but they have like the most light passing familiarity with the team, but it's cost them nothing to be invested because all they get is wins, you know? So it's just happy. It's happy days every week. My favorite story of that is I was there in 2013 when the Browns went to green Bay, Brandon Whedon was the quarterback and there were fans in the stands apologizing to me during the game for having like, I I'm so sorry, man. I can't imagine what it would be like to have to watch this guy play quarterback every week. That's, that was what they were telling me. So it is, yeah, it's, it is, I don't think it's specific to Cleveland necessarily. Cause I do think there's other damaged fan bases, but the Browns fan base has been pretty roughly treated is how I would say it. Yeah, I would think so too. But again, there are, and I know you love your Cleveland Browns and you think the world revolves around them. And I, I totally get it. And that's what this question is pointing at. But there are some lunatic fan bases who have been through the ringer. Raiders, go watch how Raiders people like react to every bit of news. I mean, uh, I mean the 49ers before Shanahan and even with Shanahan, I'll watch them just like the people who are popular as far as the blogosphere and stuff like that. They'll go after Shanahan and I'm like, you guys have no clue. Like you really have no clue for sure. You know? So th I, I think that it is more prevalent than you think, mm -hmm. but I will say, I don't believe the local media is always helping. That's the way I will phrase it. They're not, they're not very driven by big picture stuff, if that makes sense. But I will also lay the caveat down that they have like, if your job right. was to show up and cover something ugly for multiple decades. And if, if you're referencing some of the people that have been up there for multiple decades, it really starts to just shade your thought process around something. And, and you, you can't help, but find that element of an organization. So um, yeah, I, I'll say that that's, that's a huge part of it too, to be fair to them. I, yeah. I think that's such a great point, Jake. I don't know about you for me in the really bad years, the own 16 year, I stopped watching at a certain point, right? Like there were, there were, I don't know that there was ever a game that I skipped entirely, but certainly if they were down 24 at half, I was watching something else. I was either watching another game or leaving, doing something else with my time. Um, and I think when you're a media member, you don't have that option. You are in the stadium, in the press box. You got to go talk to the coach afterwards. Like you're so enmeshed in that miserable feeling and I think for a lot of fans, I mean, and maybe I'm maybe I'm atypical in that I was able to walk away from it during those really bad times, but I just had to for my own well-being because it just it, it it hurt. It's honestly a little bit of a blessing here because it it feels like so long ago. I can't really remember how I was reacting to seventeen and sixteen when they were one and thirty-one or whatever. So like that's that speaks to some credit to them being a little more relevant of recent. But like, yeah, I, I think I certainly remember, especially in the fifteen sixteen range when. 
DiFilippo was calling the offense after Shanahan left and they're three and 13. It's like, what am I wasting my Sunday doing this for right now? Yep. Right. So, yep. you know, finding the red zone channel or something like that will always be a big part of like getting through it. But the, the, again, we're, we've been fortunate here, although we've been frustrated and not quite as relevant as we maybe planned on being back during those days because of the asset allocation stuff they were doing. We are still fortunate that they're not at the at the bottom of this whole thing as they as they keep pushing forward. So we'll hope those days stay away uh, as long as you can. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket out for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. 
Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay, next question as we switch over to offense. The Browns rank near the top of the list in the NFL for deep pass attempts, but are near the bottom for successful deep attempts, correct? Which is true. Um, have any of those deep pass attempts come from a standard pocket? I feel like all the deep shots I remember them taking have been on rollouts or pressure plays or play action where the quarterback's on the move. He said, um, and this is from Brian Cassidy, by the way, he said, you know, the example is the interception at the right sideline. He said, Watson's late. The ball is thrown short because of the shoulder, but Watson has to leave the pocket before making the throw due to pressure. So he's basically saying it doesn't seem like from like a five-step gun, drop there are very many deep throws to which i agree they're not reading the deep portions of the field from a drop back multiple read perspective so if that's your hunch and you're asking if your hunch is correct that is correct and i think that that speaks a little bit to the two things andrew the belief the quarterback has that the protection can hold up without getting chaotic and trying to leave and second you know being able to decipher coverage right where you can process step one, two, and three, and then make your way into the deep portion of throwing a football downfield. So to me, it's a concern. I agree. A lot of deep shots, though, do come off of play action and pocket movement, pocket manipulation. So it's not that abnormal. But if you're thinking, do the Browns have a downfield passing game? I'm missing that right now. And even with Watson before the injury, they had not been throwing the football downfield off of drop back enough. And I know you've talked Andrew, you just said it yesterday's show, and obviously I'm in the belief when we talked about how the screen game was a big part of you know, what gave them a chance to win in Seattle. Screen game is just not a part of that every week. It's not. So you have to be able to handle drop-back pass situations, and I think we all agree, whether it's DTR or P.J. Walker or whatever Watson is when he comes back, that's the primary concern with this offense is an ability to, from the gun, 3-5 drop and, and get the football thrown where it's supposed to be thrown against um, what I think in the NFL is the hardest thing to do, throw in predictable pass situations. So, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a concern. And the hunch that Brian has here is, is accurate to me. Yeah, and you almost can't even answer this question thinking about the last few weeks because the passing offense, drop back passing offense has been kind of non-existent uh, outside of quick game and screen stuff. So you go back to the beginning of the year, right, um, and what it felt like. What it felt like was often when they were getting to uh, – deep shots as as Brian said they you know, they were getting un, sort of uncharacteristic pressure often interior pressure right and so that goes back to this conversation we continue to have about the offensive line and where they have fallen short of what we would expect from them so i think that's a component i think watson's continuing uh i, I don't even, it feels weird calling it rust at this point but whatever you know lack of accumulate uh, acclimation to game speed that continues, I think, to be part of it. And like you said, you know, his, his tendency to want to leave a pocket uh, to try and make a play. So, yeah, the, it has not been good. And the, I think you can even remember also sometimes in the in the early going where it was open and it got blocked up and he missed him. So uh, whether the wide receiver wasn't in the right spot or his throw didn't end up in the right spot, there were some misconnections that way too. So, it you know, it's not necessary. Obviously, the Browns are 4-3 and three and they really haven't done it all season, but – uh, it would be nice, and certainly when you're paying your quarterback what they are, you it, it needs to be there. Good stuff. All right, next question. How or when 
can you tell an offense is being too predictable? So this is Darren two three Oh five asking, what are some signs of play calling errors or over, um, you know, versus just an execution issue? Uh, you know, with play action, it's when routes are covered. It's, it's when you're, you're not able to pull the second level up forward enough and teams are sitting back in coverage and paint what I call painting up what you're running. There's somebody there for every route. Uh, I think that that's, you know, when you want to know, that's a way to know in play, right? Where defenses just have a feel for what to sit on, the routes, the concepts. And if, again, if you want to talk about what do you, what do you mean by an example of that, go watch that third and three again from last week's game with Seattle, how the corner was shaded inside, right? Uh, he knew that, that Amari was going to run either a slant or an under route. He doesn't run anything that works from that alignment that goes inside and back out, right? You know, that's an example. There's, uh, you know, examples of, of uh, your replacement, how the quarterback's taught to throw into the teeth of the blitz instead of throwing away from the rotation, which is, again, next level thinking. Those are the examples. If teams are pointing, you want to talk about pre-snap, if they're pointing, communicating it based on alignment or how the offensive line is and their stance, those are also key indicators for teams having a feel for what is coming. So uh, I, I think you're kind of asking, is that what Kevin is dealing with here that he's being too predictable. I actually think this is the year he's been the least predictable of all the years because they are slowly moving away from what made his identity, his identity. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Andrew, but like those are the indicators I look for uh, post snap and pre snap. And then those tell you whether defenses have a great feel or not. No, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think that it, I agree that the move away from the, run under center run base play action offense has made their offense less predictable. And I think you saw, we, we, you mentioned the screen game a minute ago. I think them being a, a gun heavy team, them being a, a team that's in a lot of empty formations, they've gotten to those screens in different ways, which has made them more effective, I think. Okay. Go ahead with the next question. Yeah. So the next question is uh, another one from Aaron Hitchens. He's, he sent me a bunch of questions and we really appreciate that. It's great to to have a bunch of material to chew on here. So this one is about David Njoku. He says, I've been an Njoku believer from the get go. And I still feel like he has the talent size and explosiveness to be the best pass catching tight end in the league, which is uh, uh, that's a mouthful. Uh, not to mention his incredible yards after catch ability to get five free yards as guys struggle to drag him down. And so the question is essentially, uh, am I wrong for thinking that all of what I said, or, you know, is, is, is Aaron wrong for that? Or is, you know, is what's holding him back essentially? And something we've talked about yesterday in, in terms of his usage. Uh, and, you know, I think I, I, an ongoing question I, I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, I think if Watson was healthy, this is probably one of the things we're talking about the most is whether or not they're using David Njoku enough. I think there's some times where David should get opportunities in tight coverage, right? I think there's times where I should trust him to be able to catch a difficult throw. At times, Mayfield did that, and I thought it was really appropriate. I think we're waiting on someone to do that in the post-Mayfield era. Jacoby did it some, right? So I want to give Jacoby some credit. Deshaun, just not quite there with him yet. So yep. I think, you know, what's holding David back? At times, I think he's too slow in route running. I just think he gets very upright, and he can at times just get, I don't want to call it, you know, uh, like he's loafing. I just don't think there's the burst that is necessary sometimes when I watch his routes to to make me think a quarterback is constantly looking his way. So uh, I, I think that that lays into it a little bit. But when he does get the football, he is really dangerous. So 
I give Kevin credit for manipulating ways to get him the ball last week. I hope that continues on. I don't think they have gotten the most out of him. I'll say it that way. It's been a group effort here. Sometimes David's fault is at hand. Sometimes Kevin, sometimes quarterback, but there is certainly more there than we have seen. I don't know that you can confidently or I can confidently say he's the best tight end in the league if given the opportunity. I just don't think he's quite that well-rounded a pass catcher route runner, but his ability to block offsets that and puts you into a unique 11 personnel advantage. So I think that there's there's certainly enough there that, that, that he can be among the best in the NFL. I don't know that he'll ever be the most dangerous receiving tight end in the NFL, but without a doubt, if we're looking at David's tenure, it's a solid CC plus in terms of using him, getting the most out of him. Some of that ties to Kevin, but he was here before Kevin too. So there's that element as well. So yeah. Uh, I think he's been better in recent years, Andrew. I'm sure you would agree with me. He's trending in a decent direction, and he's still kind of young mm-hmm. here. So mm-hmm. there's still some years he could still put together that are even better. But the good thing is, is he seems to be past the burn situation, and he seems to be in a good spot, and hopefully he can continue to trend upward as whoever's playing quarterback or or the most optimal outcome is that he continues to to play better and is a real asset for Deshaun because what's perplexing to me is that I watched Deshaun play with some bad tight ends in Houston and make them look really good. Now, some of it was scheme, but some of it was him. A lot of it was him. So they need to get that unlocking there with David because it really can help their offense take take some some strides forward that they need badly. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is just that it's the thing. He's been here under enough coaches that I know he's a very different tight end than when he entered the league, but if – a bunch of people have the same problems getting the most out of him. I start to look at the player rather than the coaches, I guess a little bit, because it just, you know, the commonality is, is the player. So it's not that I disagree with the assessment. I, I, he is obviously a very talented, but when you see those sort of the limitations show up again and again, you, I, I think you're, you have to, at some point start to look at the player. Agreed. Okay. Next question here says uh, with Watson finding his groove post Tennessee, and Chubb was healthy. So this is a hypothetical. Yeah. How would you evaluate the likelihood of this team winning the AFC? So you're saying if Nick was healthy, which yeah. that feels like a lifetime ago, man. Um, and yeah, Deshaun no, was no healthy doubt. post post Tennessee game. Yeah. You want to talk about the question earlier about having confidence in your team. Right. We would be having a lot of confidence in this football team. And that's well, honestly think- a question that makes me sad more than anything else. Yeah. So it's an interesting yeah. question though, just in terms of where they would stack up in the AFC. Cause I don't think it's hard yeah. to imagine Jake where they would be now. Right. No, I don't. I think they'd be in the Buffalo Cincinnati tier. I, I trust Kansas city more than anybody, but exactly. they would be in the Buffalo Miami. That's my answer you know, to Cincinnati territory. That's my I answer think, too. I think, I think, they, I think yeah. there's with what the Bengals are doing post by now, what they did to the 49ers, it feels like they are in that tier. They have made, made themselves a little nest there. I think that I, for my money, I think the Jaguars are, are at probably the bottom team in that tier. I was hesitant on them, but the, the defense coming around has really changed the equation for them. Um, so I, I think it's kind of that those four teams, Miami, Buffalo, Cincinnati. I mean, I guess you got to say Baltimore too, don't you? Oh, yeah, I completely forgot. Yeah, they would be in that tier, Baltimore's tier. So Let's just say they'd be right there with Baltimore because Baltimore's DVOA is really strong too. So yeah. what are you saying? I mean, like Baltimore – Again, I just keep – I'm having a bad time taking them as serious as I need to. I seem to do this every year with one team. But <laughs> if your first tier is probably Baltimore and Kansas City right now, probably yeah. have Miami in that first tier. 
Cleveland could be at the bottom of that one or right there with the Cincinnati Buffalo tier, right? Like right around. I don't yeah, know, you're two, right. No, I think like that, who are the, I there's think six that teams that you better. would, yeah, yeah. you would yeah, six yeah. teams that you could think could win this thing. They'd be in mm-hmm. the tier of teams that can genuinely win the AFC. So yeah, and, and I, I think then the then it would the other interesting part of this is how much more scrutiny would the defense be getting if they had the same sort of late game breakdowns against the Colts or the. I mean, it's possible that some of these games get put away, but I think the Seattle game, for example, you know, if if that that exact scenario plays out, but it's Deshaun Watson at quarterback, the defense is getting roasted right now. I would I would agree with that. The shift would be off Kevin and it would be more so on on the defense for sure. Uh next question says we didn't get a replay on the last drive because of the Seahawks penalty, but Walker seemed to miss a very open Cooper streaking past the coverage on third and four. It reminded me of eerily of Baker missing OBJ on a pass that would have put away the Vikings. Am I missing something or what um he said, or was that a possible knockout punch i think he's talking about the slant and go if i if i recall yeah. where they got the penalty called for the hands yep. to the face mm-hmm. yeah no you, you're right if he hits that throw which he, he sends way too far up the right sideline they're they're running i mean coop's running if you just hit him in stride now the safety was kind of lingering but the safety was in a trail spot at that point and was inside cooper so if you just sort of put it over cooper's inside shoulder but kind of drifting him away taking the ball to the direction you wanted you had a real chance there. And yeah, that was a missed opportunity in that. And I, I think football is a game of like inches and it, it's said in it's cliche, but think about this. And I said it on these various pods, but I want to reiterate it. The first drop back throw of the drive, the Browns went on to beat the Colts. PJ Walker drops back and he throws a seam ball to Njoku that Shaq Leonard is going to pick off. It's mm-hmm. right in his, in his gut, but De- DeForest Buckner knocks it down and it doesn't happen. Talk about the slug and go, but talk about in this last game, Miles Garrett's strip sack on that third down at the five minute mark. Yep. He knocks the ball away from Gino, and Gino somehow that ball goes right back. And like Gino's arms are even being held, and it somehow lands right back in a spot where he can fall on it. If the Browns get that fumble luck, they're out near the 45 yard line, probably yep. run it once or twice, get a couple first downs, and you're kicking a field goal, or that game could be over. It just football's weird. Like these Cam games. Cam Mitchell dropped miss- a pick six. There's there's so many elements, man, that, that get yep. thrown into all of this. But to answer the heart of your question, you need to hit those throws. When you get somebody that open downfield, you got to hit them. And, you know, you talk about there's six differences in a game between a game going your way and the other way. That's a huge part of it because, obviously, you control it in the most sincere way, right? Throwing it, catching it, not depending on the quarterback to make a mistake or the football to bounce your way in a fumble. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's really well said. All right, this next one is for you, Jake. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this one to you. Uh, wondering if Jake, given his quarterback experience, can address something. Uh, there's the two plays getting a ton of attention. Um, the incompletion where uh, Elijah Moore was running free when Walker threw it to Cooper when he was you know manned up and there was no chance, uh, and Moore was running free. And then the second, of course, is on the interception uh, when Walker spiked it into Jamal Adams' helmet. Uh, Najoku was open, Ford was open, etc. But here's the question. Social media loves to freeze frame, uh, get a screenshot, right, of a moment of all 22 and post it on the internet and say, look at how open everybody was. The question is, generally speaking, how useful is that? Like the photo? How useful is the photo? Yeah, how useful is it's it awful. screenshotting it's, video? It's not good, man, because <laughs> football change, the picture in football changes every millisecond. And like, yeah, that stuff, I think I think you guys have known. I, I mean, I tweeted it. I, I hate... I think there are some times where it can have a, a, 
a part of the conversation, but if you're trying to use it as a defining example of what a, a player did wrong, more times, like 99 out of 100 times, you're going to be wrong for using it. So, yeah, like if you take a picture at the moment the quarterback is releasing the football, right? If you take a picture when the guy has separated his hands and is throwing the football, you are certainly going to to see this thing in a way that the defense is reacting to how the quarterback is throwing the football. There are actually better times than others to take those pictures because you have a situation like if you're going to take that picture, take it before the quarterback has thrown it. Don't take it after he has thrown it where everybody is reacting to his throw and be like, oh, look, that guy's wide open. So to, to two-prong your question, like there, it it can be a part of the conversation, but you have to know when to take the picture, right? To, to use it in a meaningful way more often than not, you're going to be wrong, but if you're going to do it, at least take it in a way that has uh, some understanding of when a football player on the other side of the ball has reacted to it. So don't use pictures, more of the story. If you do know the right time to take it so that you can have a conversation built around quarterback thought process, that, that stuff drives me nuts. When the ball is already bounced off Adam's helmet, then the still picture, someone takes it. And it's like, oh, hey, look at the running back wide open over here. Hey, do you know that it's been like three seconds since somebody cared about any route other than the way the quarterback threw it? So, yeah, I, I would just say everybody's allowed to have an opinion. Everybody can do the analyst stuff. It's all fine and dandy. But like, you know, if somebody comes in that actually has some insight on this stuff, don't be offended if they say, hey, you're kind of wrong. Like you're not looking at this the right way. I think there's hopefully a willingness to try to learn from what you're trying to talk about. If not, then then this is probably the wrong podcast for you, and I'm not the right Twitter follower. Not, not that I have all the right answers. I watch other guys who are really – like, I played small college ball. That's great. That's cool. But everything that I know from football came from a coach who either coached me or me watching people who are really good at this stuff break things down and teach me so that I can take what they know or what I've learned over the years of doing this and apply it to the conversation around the Browns. So, like – you can go out and find that stuff. It's not like it's guarded somewhere in a secret vault. Like you can find it, but it takes a lot of dedication and passion to go f- like learn it and apply it. That's the stuff. So a long winded answer, but yeah, still shots drive me a little crazy at times because they, they don't help the conversation. They just drive up narrative stuff. Yeah. I, I think it's so important. And I think it's, you know, you know, you kind of touched on something that I think is worth reiterating, which is the tendency of some people to try and use uh, cherry picked video or still shot data to win an argument, right. Or to prove a point or to, to support their existing beliefs, right. If, if you, if you're dead set on X being a terrible quarterback, if you can, you can find embarrassing screenshots of every quarterback in the NFL, every, every single one of them. Right. So that you can make a whole career out of that. I'm sure that, I mean, I, I don't even want to name names, but there are people out there that are doing that. Right. So, uh, it 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 does go back to this point of making sure for all of us we have to do a good job of you know i think the word the phrase is media literacy right it's not just about engaging with this material it's about understanding who's putting this material in front of you and and understanding if they have an agenda and what their agenda is if they're trying to be balanced or if they're trying to prove a point all right switching over to defense now this may just be recency bias but as the defense struggled against no huddle offense, seemed like the Colts and Seahawks had their best moments of offense when running no huddle. Teams coming up on schedule look a lot harder to win if that's a weak spot. I'll, I'll throw it to you, Andrew. And that question comes from CS underscore cubed, which is uh, his name is Charlie. 
on Twitter. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. See, do you see that or where's your thought process on that? I think that's, I don't think that it's that specifically. I think it's that they um, are not tackling well in situations. I think that they're, you've mentioned before, they're much worse at playing zone coverage, right? Like the numbers are uh, uh, really stark, right? I think, what do you say, like 26 in the NFL against zone and, and, you know, top of the league and man. Typically, if a team is playing no huddle and moving fast, you're going to try and find some quick answers with with zone type coverages yep. to to you know That's avoid exactly right. getting yourself caught out. So, I, I think it's much more situational than it is specific to no huddle. Because I think if they were in no huddle more often, the teams would start to adapt and play a larger coverage menu and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah, the, you don't play as much man. First of all, man is boomer bust. So right. when you're trying to protect a lead in those moments, either before half trying to get off the field, keep everything in front of you. Zone coverage is where you're going to go. The biggest issue for the Browns is they can handle cover three. They are not handling cover two and cover six well. That's the problem. And you cannot sit and just cover three because teams will find a way to pick that coverage apart if you're doing it over and over and over again. And man coverage is sometimes too hard to communicate based on alignment, movement, motion, different things like that. And on top of that, if one person gets beaten man, it's usually a touchdown. And you don't want to have that vulnerability, whereas in zone, that's less likely. can still happen, but is less likely. They just have to get better, like you said, Andrew. If you're going to keep everything in front of you, you damn well better tackle well. And in those moments, they have not tackled well. So if you solve the tackle issue, such as getting Noah Fant on the ground in that cover two situation, instead of a 27-yard gain, it's a seven-yard gain. I still think that game goes to overtime. So... Take yep. that for what it's worth, but the, that's the general what point said you're today. making. Yeah, the general point is you 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 play zone more often, so you're going to say if you're if you're thinking Charlie, like they look different. Well, yeah, because they're playing more zone than man, and when they're in the, the you know the chunky parts of the game that they can get in a huddle or not even get in a huddle, but still talk through things, they're going to play a lot more man because they have a way of approaching it, prepping for it, and using it. And it's just philosophically you don't want to give up one play touchdowns or those big plays that sometimes man-to-man can render and this was something that we warned you about if you want to be a higher man-to-man usage team which everybody wanted them to tired of sitting back right teams that play quarters the nfl thought process these days more than ever and again i hearken back to what josh allen was just talking about yesterday because he's in the trenches of it more than anyone is that teams want to make you have 15 play drives they want to keep everything in front of them. They want to make you tag. And they say, on one of those 15 plays, you're going to screw up. It's a third down. You're going to screw up. It's a throw. It's an interception, a turnover-worthy play. It's going to happen. We'll bank on that. Well, the Browns are doing the opposite. If you want them to do the opposite, there's the vulnerability of one-play touchdowns. So just be prepared for that. And that's a, that's a reality we're living in. The Browns are still, if you go look at the success percentage charts, some of the stuff that's out there, the Browns are still at the top of it. Well, no kidding, because they're having a ton more successful plays than bad plays. What's the problem with that, Andrew? They're still giving up explosives. So having, you know, if you have a success rate of 60%, you you still can give up five explosive plays that are 40 yards or more that are resulting in points, and yep. you can still have a successful game in terms of success percentage on a play-to-play basis. But it yep. doesn't quantify the magnitude of the blow-ups that can happen. So sometimes you have to be able and be comfortable with, if you want them to be a man-aggressive team, that those big plays are typically bigger when mess-ups happen in man than against zone. So just some something to chew on there. Next come, comes to us from uh, Hitchens again. He asks, with Greg Newsom's trade request in the offseason upon switching agents, the team seemed to dangle the carrot of him playing outside in slot. Has that happened? Emerson seems to be in more high-leverage situations. Is that because of his size and ability, or is it more his limitations in the slot? Do you see Newsom having a future with the team beyond his first contract? If not, what do you expect his trade compensation to be if they were 
to deal him proactively? Great question. We talked about this a little bit yesterday, Andrew. So if you recall, they said, uh, Newsom said he talked to Schwartz and he liked what he heard about playing the slot. I'll ask you this question, Andrew. I'll kind of challenge you a little bit. Why do you think he heard what he wanted to hear from what you've gathered? Well, I think probably because Jim Schwartz is a veteran coach and knows how to talk to players. <laughs> that's that's a great that's a great response. Well, here's this. I've thought this through. So what was Newsom's biggest complaint last year? He was tired of being in the run fit. Yeah. Constantly in the run fit, tired of it. You know when you're not in the run fit? When you're chasing somebody in man to man. Right. So he tells him, hey, man, we're going to be playing a lot more man coverage. You're not in the run fit. We're going to trust the D line to create chaos. We're going to use the linebackers to fix it. You hear that term, fix it all the time. And then you can make reactionary run defense plays, right? Open field run defense plays, not necessarily fitting the C gap, right? I'm cool with that. I'd rather run with somebody, play coverage, than sit up there and fit the C gap. That's not fun. So that to me was the selling point, right? Because listen, he is not doing anything different than last year he's actually on track to have this highest slot percentage number of his career he's at 170 right now there's every bit of a chance he gets to 400 if he's healthy he's missed one game so he's at 170 slot snaps only 72 at corner 41 in the box so he's yeah. clearly going to be playing the same role but the difference is and why they got him to believe in it and they settled down the trade request is jim schwartz comes in and says hey we're not going to expect you to be in the run fit when we're playing man-to-man I do not expect you to be fitting C or D like you are going to be in man to man in phase. That's going to be a 60% clip. That's going to change the outcome. Now there are going to be some times where we expect you to fit in zone coverages, right? But you're going to be a moving player with jet motion, lateral motion, and you're going to have less responsibility in the run. That's it. Now Newsom is fine. I think he's, he's fine. He's learning. He's growing again. This is new to him. It's only the second year of something new to him. He's only 23 and a half years old. I, I said the other day, or maybe just yesterday, I am not certain he gets a fifth-year lock-in deal. I don't know. The, the nickel position is very strange, and he has not been good enough in there yet to make me think he is a stone-cold lock for another contract, and even getting his option picked up. It's likely yes, but he's not a lock. Martin Emerson is a better outside corner, knows how to use the body more, is better with physical receivers, and he, he certainly hearkens some, some of those old-school cover three corners who can bully you into the sideline. So he's the guy outside. Opposite Denzel, physicality aspect, the, 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 you know, the body types that play off of each other, he's the guy. Newsom has to find out two things for him, himself personally. Does he like the slot enough to keep pursuing it from his side? And the second side is the Browns. How much do they covet paying that position yep. to, to, uh, That's to cover what the, the fifth-year option is going to be a lot of money? Yep. Right. Because he's a first round mm -hmm. pick and it's going to be the averages across the board there. And then obviously he has to figure out long term if this is something he wants to do. So maybe he's drawn to the man coverage and he likes it. There's some elements from both sides that are going to need to come together to see if there's a long term future for him. Yeah, I tend to be pretty pessimistic about this one because I think Cam Mitchell has been pretty good already. Yeah. You know, I think there's yeah. a chance we see Mitchell playing this weekend if Newsom can't go with this groin injury that's kind of lingering. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm pessimistic because I think they hit gold with Emerson. And so you, you don't just walk away from that. You know, as as a team, you, you say, well, we've got our two starting quarterbacks. You can find a nickel. You know, I mean, they, they are available. Uh, players every year in free agency are available. You can find players in the draft. I just mentioned Mitchell's name. They do not need to be paying first round, fifth year money to a nickel corner. It just does not make any sense, especially with where they're at roster construction wise. So to me, Greg Newsom in a trade this offseason makes a ton of sense. Like, yep. do, do it now. Makes a ton of sense. Do it now. Keep drafting, yeah, keep drafting corners and then keep trying to find answers for your slot. If Cam Mitchell's the guy, great. If you draft somebody else, 
you know, you could find plenty of answers for slot in, in, in the draft, you know, not just to, to diminish Greg's skills. Like I think Greg can, can do a lot of things that I, I think he might go somewhere else and be a decent outside corner for somebody. Right. You know, but the tackling stuff is a problem. He can't yep. really handle it and he doesn't desire to do it all too much. And he just hasn't been in stuff like, you know, when he's thrown outside, the, the results haven't been great since the first year. And again, it's hard to go inside out, right? It's yeah. a real challenge. So it's not like I'm saying it's easy, but the results just haven't been strong enough. Could that change the second half of this season and put yourself in a position? Sure. Right. You could dominate, but not enough activity on the ball. He's got three pass breakups this year. He's yet to record an interception at the NFL level. It's not good enough. It's not good enough for what is looming for him. And he, again, yeah. still might be desiring. I'm a first round pick. I should be playing outside corner somewhere. And this is going to take away from my you know, ability to get that all important second NFL contract. I, I totally get that side of his stance as well, because his best year in the NFL came his rookie year playing outside. So right. he could have that desire. So he's an interesting trade asset in the offseason. You're right. Good point, Andrew. And I, I the last question we had from Enfuego 20 was pretty much about the same things uh, with the no huddle. Right. He's yeah. talking about Purdy yeah. and Geno Smith and their success at the end of the game versus you know, um, Stone earlier coach. and we, we've explained it. So that's a, yeah. that's all the questions we had. We will do this, uh, same schedule next week, but we will be on time with it. So it'll be a Wednesday delivery for your questions. We'll make sure to get the tweet out. I'm open to any questions. Andrew's open to any question, throw those to us, make fun of my, my lack of wine consumption throughout my life, whatever it mm -hmm. is you want to do, mm -hmm. uh, throw those in there. We like to have fun with it. So, uh, yeah, keep doing that guys. I appreciate a lot of you are sending Andrew questions because I can't get to everybody. Like I'm, I'm genuinely sorry about that. There are some times where I just can't get to it. Or if I miss one, never feel hesitant to, to shoot me another follow-up and say, Hey man, you missed this. Can you get to this one? I, I don't take any offense to that. I just, and I hope you don't either. Cause I'm trying to get to a lot of those questions and do a lot of different things at one time. And Andrew does a great job. He posted to everybody who shot him a DM. He posted those questions today. So shoot them over to us. We're more than happy to answer them and keep the Wednesday podcast lively. So, uh, you know, as always, Andrew, appreciate your time, man on this segment uh, as we as we guide the mailbag endeavor which is never uh never predictable the questions vary so much every time it's so much fun i love kind of seeing what's on everybody's mind and you know i have to say the qu the quality of the questions we get is uh stunning every week it it really is just impressive just where people's minds are at and and how thoughtful the questions are it's you know we <laughs> kind of going back to one of the early questions we don't get a lot of questions which is like why are they so bad you know like we get a, a lot of stuff that is very thoughtful in, in in times, kind of hard to answer, philosophical, but I love that. I think it really engages us, and I hope everybody's enjoying this this uh, show as well. Right on. Good stuff, uh, everybody, for shooting those over. We'll continue to do it. It's one of the ones I look forward to the most throughout the week. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you guys. Rate and review the podcast on your way out. Stop by the OBR, $1 your first month. Take advantage of that. Join us, best online Browns community. Have a fantastic Friday, everybody. Thanks for being here, and go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.